Monday, April 10th, and this is Season 7, Episode 30 of the Four Star Spurs Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony. With me this week are Tommy. What's up? Jeff. Hello. And Joe. Hello there. Well, uh, so we went into this week. Um, I don't think a lot of us were feeling very positive uh, about taking on Brighton, who's uh, been playing some pretty good uh, football in general. Um, they've certainly been competitive this year. They're, they had the chance to, uh, to, pot- to potentially pass us in the table with a victory here. Um, so uh, there was a lot of pessimism going into it, and I think it kind of played out with the pessimism that we were expecting with what we actually saw on the pitch. Now, uh, now in retrospect, we know that we do technically get the victory out of this, but does, I want to start the conversation with, did this feel like a victory to you guys, uh, d- d- despite the uh, three points? Or did this feel like uh, just another defeat? Um, who wants to take that? For, uh, Joe? No, I, th- I think, I mean, of course I agree with you. We were incredibly lucky to win this game. I mean, if you replayed this game 10 times, we'd probably win it two at best out of 10 based on the possession stats, the way that we played compared to Brighton. We we really did uh, get lucky in, in a lot of different areas in this game. But to kind of, you know, try and play devil's advocate a little bit, I think we've also had some some bad luck in, in a lot of recent games. You look at the Southampton game, we played badly, as we seem to do pretty much every game these days. But I don't think that was a penalty in the in the at the end in that game, and that robbed us of two points that we probably just about deserved. So uh, this is just the nature of of sport, isn't it? You know, the best team doesn't always win, and um, you know, I, I think when that happens, you've just got to be grateful. We've got a player like Kane who can make the difference in, in that situation. Uh, yeah, I mean, so I'm more or less in agreement. I mean, we've had some. I think we've had rotten luck over the years. Or I mean, over the course of this year, at least. Um, I mean, we've had just some bad injuries. I don't remember the last time we've had a set of injuries like this in general. Um, but aside from that, just, I mean, I bitched about the play over the course of the season as well. But, I mean, I've said over the time, I mean, we usually win pretty, but we the team does need to know how to win ugly as well uh we definitely did that i i mean i might sound like a pessimist here but i feel that the game overall brian did dominate us to a certain degree uh i think the last time i saw what was it possession and this was in the first half but it was very embarrassing when i did see it was that brian had 70 percent possession compared to our 30 give or take uh we had two great goals don't get me wrong but it other than that it just felt like we were struggling being sluggish uh granted we did play better compared to when Conte was our manager um but I felt like you know if we're playing again if this was against future matches against Newcastle Man United I, I don't think it'll be enough but at least we got the three points. We're breathing down Newcastle's neck. Man United's not doing so well right now. So because of that, we're at least in the thick of things. So I'll take what I can get right now. Uh, Jeff? It did feel like a win, but very much a smash and grab win. Um, 
it's yeah, it didn't feel so much like a deserved win. It just, it was so weird from the get go. I mean, with Deserbi going at Stellini, um, you know, right before the match even started, um, and they captured that whole thing on you know on video during the telecast, and even the announcers are like, "Oh, what's going on there?" And then it just carried on like the whole game was a Twilight Zone game throughout. You know, you had these weird. The the handballs, okay, yeah, they they were handballs, um, but the the penalty that wasn't, and then on the other hand, you had um, you know dunk stamping on um, I forget whose foot on our site. There, I mean, the ref wasn't going to call anything at all, um, and then you know the second the bench clearing brawl between the staffs. And you see Stellini way over on the corner of that, trying to stay out a whole thing, and he still gets card, you know, a red card for not controlling the area. It was just bizarre all the way through. And of course, after all that blew up in Brighton's face, Hoiberg makes his only good play of the entire game and gets the pass back to Kane, and he scores the winner. Um, we've seen that kind of thing happen to us, like over and over and over again. So it was, it felt very strange being on the other end of that and being the beneficiary for a change. Well, and I, you can kind of see why they would, if you're a Brighton fan, you would feel really put off by the, this result, like that you were cheated. Like, uh, and I don't uh, think that they're nonsense after the, the match, like, oh, they're asking for a replay and shit like that. It's never going to happen. Um, you know, that's just, I don't know. It feels like a little bit of like Liverpool going on there with the whininess, but um, but you can kind of feel for them. Like, yeah, you you kind of had some uh, some some calls that didn't go your way this time. Um, but I think the way we look at it is just so often uh, the the calls don't go for go our way, and we've had such bad luck and bad form this year that like uh, for it to go our way this time, it it. Uh, it it, it, it's a little bit satisfying in that regard. Um, on how the game looked, I do want to go to our uh, one listener question that we have today. Um, and this one comes from uh, Shubes. Uh, so, Tommy, do you have that queued up? Yep. Uh, Shubes, hopefully you're doing well. Hopefully I'll see you in a month and change. Um, Shubes' comment, it's actually more of a comment, uh, or a question, slash question. The bizarre setting off aside. Do you feel this match had echoes of when we were lucky to beat Pochettino Southampton at the lane in April slash May of 2014? On both occasions, we got to three points, but the other team played the better football. Who wants to go? Joe, I see you're nodding your head. Yeah, go ahead, Joe. Um, yeah, sure. I'll go here because I do remember that game. I, I lived in England at the time, so I, I can remember that one. Um and the reason I remember it is because uh, we won right at the very end. I think it was Sigurdsson, not not a name you hear a lot of these days for reasons I won't go into. But he he scored, and I remember that. It, it, I don't think that game was. I think Shubes makes a good parallel here, but I don't think the game was that similar because I, I do think that was quite a good performance by us on that day and uh, two good teams playing each other. But we were in a kind of a similar place to what we are now then because AVB had been fired. We had uh, Tim Sherwood as the coach, Tommy's Tommy's favourite, famously, Tim Sherwood was coach and he was obviously an interim and kind of like we're in that situation now, aren't we really? It's, you know, Conte's gone and we've got Mason and Stellini 
te- on a temporary basis. So I think there's there's probably a few parallels there, and probably the one that Shubes is alluding to really as a as kind of a an interesting potential is obviously we ended up with Pochettino then, didn't we? Uh, you know, in that preseason. I guess he's perhaps hinting that we might go for Deserby uh, this time. So maybe that's the interesting thing. I don't think the games were that similar because today, well, today, sorry, this weekend, I think we were totally outplayed by Brighton. Uh, whereas in the Southampton game, I think it was more of an end-to-end kind of a game. Um, yeah. And I do remember that one. I, I did watch that at the Atlantic. Um, and I remember, and actually you cued me, Joe, that I really, really remembered it because I remember the, the late Seegerson goal. Like, and, and, and I remember when we got Potts the next season, um, Seegerson was 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 gone i was always like you know this is a guy that we should have kept around um like he would have been the backup um uh like attacking player that we were kind of lacking or um uh all throughout potch's era why did we let him go as was kind of my thinking in that that regard but but no i do remember the game and um i agree i i i think it was more when i when i was watching that we were just thinking at the time that this Pochettino guy seems like he's actually a pretty good coach. Like it was uh, striking our interest. I don't know if I got that level of interest from Deserby. Um, I, I think he's an interesting uh, potential coach, but um, but I, uh, I I think he beat us because of how bad we were, not uh, or like he looked like the better team because of how bad we were, not because of uh, outplaying us. Uh, per se, we were just outplayed because we, we, all we had was the couple moments of brilliance from Son and Kane. Go ahead, Jeff. I was going to say, on that parallel, you know, we play Southampton and then Pochettino becomes our manager, and then the idea, you know, that Deserbi is one of the names linked to us. So if that was his audition, wow, he did really badly. Not not brighten the team, but him, the human being. Um, I mean, getting set off for the red in a, in a big match like this, and he's had troubles with the league earlier this season, getting sent off. So I can't imagine that did him any favors, um, uh, you know, as far as uh, looking at a, yeah, us looking at him as a possible manager. Well, why would he want to come to us? He seems like he's got a pretty good thing going uh, at Brighton right now. Like, um, you know, why take on the risk of uh, it not going well with us and then getting shit-canned in a couple of years when you probably could stay at Brighton for another three, really improve your value, and then uh, and then go on for a bigger game, maybe. Um, maybe like the Graham Potter uh, method or whatever. Hopefully he wouldn't fail for his sake, but... Um, other thoughts about this... Uh, th- this game, I do want to talk about those goals a little bit. Um, the Sun goal for me was it was so nice to see because we've see, seen Sun do go, uh, have goals like that, but it's been a, a long time since we've had one. And this is potentially, um, other than maybe the hat trick day, uh, may have been one of the biggest moments for Sun this season. Um, uh, Tommy, you want to tackle that? Yeah, I'm like when I saw that, I was like, there was so much space to be cut in, and uh, there is this British guy who's a season ticket holder. He came in with this kid, um, literally right after Sun's goal, and 
the kid was like, who scored? And I'm like, oh, son scored. I'm like, if you don't know if you remember the North London Derby during the uh, pandemic when they had like 2,000 people into the stadium. To me, it felt like that goal was a essentially a carbon copy because what he did was cut in, had a long range uh, screamer curled in. So I can't, I mean, I've shitted on Sun a lot recently, but I'm like, that goal was fucking beautiful. And for those who don't know, I am a sucker for those screamer type goals. So that made my day. But uh, I can't really complain about it. And it was just, I, the weird thing though is, I mean, more about the game is like we were getting killed in the midfield and the fact that there is that gap between midfield and defense and the defense and he got in there. I was just, I was mildly flabbergasted um, and surprised that that happened. But again, take what I can get, of course. Yeah. Um, any, anybody else on the sun goal? Uh, Joe? Well, I mean, it's just a great landmark, isn't it, to get to 100 goals? Um, you know, I, I feel like a lot of people were surprised, not Spurs fans, because we've known that he's been kind of stuck on the 99 for a while, hasn't he? I remember against Forrest, he was missing a, a, a few sitters that would have got him to 100. I feel like he's been stuck on 99 for a, for a good few weeks now, but probably a lot of Spurs fans would have been surprised he he hadn't already scored a hundred because he's, you know, he seems to be such a consistent goal scorer that uh, probably a few people would have, would have expected him to have already been there, but it's a great achievement. Very happy for him. He's obviously having, as Tommy alluded to a very poor season by his high standards. And, um, you know, maybe he's such a streaky player who knows, maybe this will kickstart him and he'll score, you know, a load of goals in a run in, but, I think I've said that every single time he's, he's scored this season. So <laughs> I don't know if I can hold out much realistic hope for that. But fair play to him for getting the 100. I, I think that this potentially could be different. Because, like, let's face it, when you're stuck on a number, um, especially in, like, the 100-goal the 100 mark, you can really see how, how you, you can get in your, in your own head. And to be able to break that 100 with such an impressive goal, not just a stupid tap-in or anything like that. I could see him kicking on from here. Um, but I, I hope that would be on the back of maybe like a formation change uh, a la Mason, like especially with if Stellini's red card is held up and uh, he's not able to coach uh, the next match, maybe Mason will do something a little different. Uh, Tommy, you wanted to jump in there? Yeah, I kind of want to echo Joe's thought because every time I see Sun do well, like whether it be the hat trick, um, Crystal Palace, he had a pretty solid goal as well. I'm like, oh, maybe this will kickstart things. <clears throat> Part of me is still not holding out hope because this season has just been subpar, as Joe said, by some standards. But let's be realistic. Things are a little different now. We don't have Conte. Um, people have, I feel like people have written, or at least I have, written us off for getting top four. Uh, you know, we got Salini, and yeah, while there's still for me, you know, formation, the way we play is the same. But, you know, him and Ryan Mason, they're taking more of an active role because Conte left. So I think the pressure is off on Son and everybody else on the team. So if there is something, a catalyst to kickstart maybe a late run, this may be it. Jeff? Well, the other good thing is that we only play a game a week now, right? And 
you know, supposedly one of the things that was feeding into Sun's bad play was, you know, he had some kind of physical issues and exhaustion, you know, from the World Cup and everything else. And so maybe um, this will give him a little bit more fuel. Um, yeah, just playing one week, one game a week down the stretch to maybe he can finish up strongly. Well, and and maybe it, the him occupying the uh, the 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 same space as uh, um, uh, uh, on the right Parasitch. side. Parasitch. Yeah, thank you. I was our, our only wingback. I was going to call him Prodigy for a second, but like my brain was having a fart moment, but um. But yeah, yeah that he'd be sharing a chance. Yeah, like also. maybe some of that will become a myth because uh, we are seeing them uh, seem to contribute together here. Uh, so uh, I guess we can hope for that. Um, uh, how about the Kane one? Uh, so um, th- this is the one that we, I mean, we know Kane's capable of these, but um, th- they were defending re- really well, and still Kane managed to find a way to kind of thread it through and and just bam, right in the back of the net. I'm doing a horrible t- job describing this, so somebody bail me out here. Um, uh, who wants to take it first? Uh, Jeff? It, it, no, you're right. I mean, the um, Hoiber, uh finally got his himself up into uh, a good position alongside the net, um, you know, and passed it back instead of across. Um, and you know, Kane was right there and blasted it through. It was a it was a great Harry Kane goal. And like I said, it was you know Hoiberg's one contribution on the day. So so that was that was a nice highlight reel moment. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll, we'll get to him uh, some more when we talk about LVP, but that uh, that that assist probably bails you out of LVP status, I'm sure. Uh, but um, uh, any other thoughts, kind of on the the this match before we uh, uh, move on? Yeah. I, oh, what quick? Did anybody feel confident the last uh, you know eight minutes of the game or so that? that Brighton wasn't going to tie it up? No, no. I, I really thought we were going to find a way to to turn this into another draw, to be honest. I was, uh, I will admit, I was, I was slightly pensive uh, just because of the last two matches, but yeah. I was just like, you know, let's just suck it up and get it done. A uh, part of me, like, with this whole match, I, would, uh, I mentioned it earlier. Yeah, we had two great goals, but over. Aside from that, the two. Uh, aside from that, general play was not great. Brighton was dominating possession. Yeah, they were fading a bit at the end, but I'm just like, let's just get this over with, and go home, and we got we got the what's up you so like I said, can't complain too much. So I'll, I'll take it. Yeah, uh, and a much needed three points, considering where things are at in the table the difficult matches that we have coming up, like we really needed to after uh, like our fa- failures with Southampton and Everton, we needed to, to, to have a result here because it's other than Bournemouth next week, it's not going to get much easier um, over the next month or so. So um, uh, take the points where we can get them for sure. Uh, how about we go to MVP on this? Um, uh, and let's start with Joe. Yep. Um, MVP for me is incredibly unimaginative and probably every time I've been on the podcast this year and I've said the same, it's it's Harry Kane for winning us the game as he's done 
so many times it's now becoming quite ridiculous actually um i don't i don't think we've ever relied on a player as much as we rely on kane this season it's it's ridiculous honestly um i heard something today that if you take kane's goals out of our season would be 20 points worse off and like basically in the relegation battle and i know you could probably say that for a lot of teams if you took the strikers goals out but I don't think it's as ex- like, for example, Haaland wasn't at City last year and they still won the league, right? Like, they don't need him really. He's just a, a machine who is enhanced them even more. But with us, if you took Kane out, I- I'd love to see where we would be. Well, I'd, I wouldn't, I'd hate to see where we would be, I should say, but it would be interesting. Um, yeah, you kind of run out of ways of saying it, but we're so reliant on him. It's unbelievable. And it's he's another one where he's bailed us out, basically, and got us the win. Well, and you have to wonder if, like, in your instance, if we take Harry Kane out of the situation, would uh, Richarlson be able to step up to the plate and maybe not do the same job, but be able to at least uh, um, fill some of that gap if he's getting regular minutes, and you would like to hope so? Because um, I do think uh, maybe second half we should have a bit of a conversation about um, whether to keep Harry or, or sell Harry at this point, because it's uh, it, it really is becoming a hot topic uh with where things are at. So I think we should circle back to that. Uh, but uh, let's go to Tommy for his MVP. Oh, before I start with that, um, Joe, I think the last time we were heavily reliant on another player was probably the 12-13 season with Bale. Um, yeah, yeah. Because everything, because it was very cyclical, not cyclical, very cliche of what ABB had. Because before when he was at Porto, he had Hulk. Um Bale with Spurs, Hulk again when he went to, what, Zenit St. Petersburg, and then he had, everything went through Payette when he was at Marseille, so, um, but anyways, um, while I don't disagree with Harry Kane, I'm going to give it to Pedro Porro yet again, I think he was the one that provided the most energy, um, and he had, he was just everywhere again, so like, I mean, I can't say enough, every time that he has played for us, he has been high energy, and that is no slight on Emerson Royale, but it's just when he comes on for Royale as a sub or when he plays, everybody looks has everybody has this little bit of a spring in their step. Uh, so I can I'm very thankful that we have him. Part of me kind of wonders right now is why, why would he come here and literally what three or a little over two months. Uh, he has a, he's going to have a manager change, or he had a manager change, and he has to deal with another manager in the summer. But yeah, he's one of the things I'm thankful for, so I'm going to give it to him. Okay, uh, Jeff. Um, I want to give a couple of shout outs to the. I thought the wingbacks played pretty well, like you said, Tommy Poro did, and I thought Perisic had a pretty decent game too. Um, and the other guy I want to give a shout out to is Dan Juma. Um, once he got subbed in, he brought a ton of energy and him being on the pitch there when Harry scored the winner, um, it seemed like he had dragged some of the defense over to him out wide on the left too. So it seems like he really made a difference in this match. Um, but because I've given him so much stick all season, I'm going to give, uh, MVP to son for this game. Um, just because I thought, especially early on, he was really into it. He was actually you know, running, keeping the ball. I think I saw him play defense. I think I saw him force a turnover. Um, 
So, I mean, if that son comes back, we'll be in much better shape. Yeah, and I I, I agree with you, Jeff. Uh, I had son as well. Uh, just as um, what I saw different in this match that we haven't seen a lot of this season was that the way he used space to drag players with him to to cut in, get shots off. Um, we we know that like he's not a, a, an effective player when there's uh, the, the whole team sitting behind the ball and the uh, defensive formation. Like uh, he he's not good with his uh, um, back to goal. Um, and we've just been seeing way too much of that in this uh, the setup that we've been uh, unfortunately forced to watch for uh, the last uh, several months. Um, but I think he was able to uh, use his talents in this uh, particular performance pretty well. Um, and uh, I, I think he deserves credit for it and, and big credit on the uh, 100th goal. So, yeah, Sun's my MVP as well. Um, Let's go back to Joe and talk about LVP. Um, LVP, there's probably a few candidates, even though we won this game. Um, I thought Dyer was so clumsy in possession. Um, so many times he passed it into the middle when the players were under pressure and they turned the ball over. But I'm probably going to narrowly opt for, as Jeff had kind of beat me to the punch here, Hoybier had a pretty disastrous game I just had no faith compared to the way Brighton play football where they're all so comfortable in possession and they pick it up and they turn and they're just so kind of in, imaginative on the ball we're just so functional and um, you know you're just so bereft of any creativity and ideas and for me the two were Dyer and Hoybier who just looked like they were going to lose it every time they got the ball um it's basically a toss-up between them, but I'll probably just narrowly go for for Hoybier, LVP. Yeah, the uh, the assist doesn't um, bail him out of the uh, LVP over Dyer. I don't, I don't think. I mean, it was a nice assist. It was, an, it was nice that he cut it back. But by that point, it was like 80 minutes in, and I've watched him toil away for 80 minutes, getting rings run round him. I don't think it was redeemable for me. But Dyer deserves a notable mention as well for sure. Tommy. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree with you, Joe, but I'm giving it to Jayon. Yeah, I love Jayon. I'm probably one of his biggest fans out there, but just look very, he didn't look himself. Like, in terms of it, when he was on the ball, getting the ball, making runs, like, it was so inconsistent. And, you know, I would say, yeah, we won. We didn't look great, but we didn't look insanely bad either. So, I would say he was kind of the worst out of the mediocre general bunch. So um, I, I've actually talked about it with a few people. I wouldn't be surprised if he's injured right now uh, because I was watching Sweden, you know, of course, played during the international break, and he just looks so sluggish. And he looks slow off of the ball, and his acceleration didn't look great or in his agility. So if, if he was injured, can't say I would be surprised, but... Yeah, it definitely seems like there's a fitness issue there with Kulishevsky. I uh, It's been kind of painful to watch. And, like, the way that, like, uh, even when he got the ball and was, uh, like, kind of on a breakaway, like, they chased him down, like, no trouble at all. And, yeah, he's not the fastest guy out there, but you, usually he can do a, a cut move that kind of throws him off his trail or or 
some creative dribbling to kind of uh, get around somebody or prevent them from catching up. You know, there, there was just none of that with him today, so I definitely understand your pick there, Tommy. Uh, who do you have, Jeff? Um, well, yeah, Hoiberg would have been in my team picture definitely until that assist. Um, he's just so panicky with his passes. You know, they're never going to a person. They're just kind of going wherever he can, you know, get rid of the ball fastest. Um, and Longley didn't cover himself in glory either. Um, all his clutching and grabbing to try and make up for how slow he is. And then a near handball. But Joe, I'm going to pick you up. I'm going to say Dyer. Uh, that first goal, had it stood, was completely Dyer's fault. Um, you know, he pretty much gave that ball right back um, to Brighton right after we had scored, too. Um, you know, and set up that whole attempt that Matoma had that got called off for the handball. Um, and I don't remember him doing one worthwhile thing, <laughs> you know, in the game besides that. So I'll, I'll beat on my whipping boy Dyer this week. Sorry, I'll be very quick with this. Um, I mean, I've been shooting on Dyer a lot, and Jeff told me a while ago, he was like, yeah, I'm up for the uh, Dyer hate trade, which, of course, I can't disagree with. Um, but while I don't disagree, because he was just standing there, he was in no man's end, and I've bitched about this many times over the course of the past few seasons. There's a lot of times where he just is out of position, and he just stands there looking at the ball passing by. This was the case, but I can't give I'll I can't give him full responsibility for that potential goal just because everybody was just like out of place and out of position. So while he is partially I can't give it all to him. Yeah. Um I think I'm gonna I'm gonna go pick Dyer as well. Um I just wanna say on Hoybier I, I he was god awful, and his passes, as you say, Jeff, were just so frantic, and and it, it, it was just like really, like the, he just would get it was a turnover machine to give the ball back to them. Um, but I think so much of that is a product of this formation that we insist yeah. on playing, where we're we're out manned in the midfield, and and we only have Hoybier and Skip, who really aren't that great technically. Uh, to take on a the, a much larger midfield um, a, across like every game, like and everybody sees us coming a mile away, and they just uh, stack the midfield and and steamroll over us. So I think so much of that uh, Hoybier's bad performance is a product of that, uh, which me, me leads me to give it to. Oh, Anthony, you're on mute. Oh, I went. Uh, sorry, I went on mute. Uh, how how long? How no, long? Did just he... you you just went on. You were about to reveal who you're going to give it to. Okay, no. So I went to uh, with Dyer. I agree with Jeff on it for sure. Um, how about um, uh, any other thoughts on this game before we uh, move along, uh, Joe? Yeah, Anthony. I was just going to basically agree with what you said. Then I, I do think the system, and and that's the one thing really that I'm kind of optimistic about this season. I think this season's been such a disappointment and it's hugely affected by the fact that Arsenal have been so good. That really does affect our perception and our enjoyment of the of the season, you know, and obviously that's not something Spurs can control, but it, it kind of feeds into the, the general feel of everything. 
But to your point, I and I know you guys talked about this last week on the podcast in a lot of detail, but this system is clearly not suited to this team, right? Like this is Conte's way of playing. He he's very committed to the to that setup. And he just was going to use it regardless of the players. And that's why I'm a little um, annoyed, I guess, that Stellini, not that I have anything against him personally, but the fact that we've just, it's a continuation of the same, right? Like I would have much rather somebody else had come in. I know that Mace, Ryan Mason, I think you said it last week, Anthony, he's ex, he's going to be uh, having his wife's having a child soon so he might be unavailable for a few weeks and maybe they didn't want to put him in that situation but i would have much preferred if it was someone with just a totally new idea uh, of how to play football <clears throat> versus having stellini just doing the same bad things that we were seeing on the on the conte and i do think that the like hoibier is okay he's okay like he's not a great technical player but he's he's a decent enough player but he's hung out to dry by this system and a lot of the players are so I think with a new manager with new ideas, different way of playing football, like hopefully actually, you know, passing the ball a little bit and playing some nice, you know, attractive football that we've not seen in a long time. I think we'll see a bit of a reinvention of a few of these players. So I'm not really meaning to be too down on individuals. I just agree with you that the system is hindering them and hopefully next season it'll be a, a different way that we play. Maybe the temporary solution would have been to make Brian Mason, and then when he had to leave for his baby, you you did make his backup uh, Harry Redknapp. He, I mean, he offered. Uh, he he could he could have come in. Um, I, I think I can just hear Rick's voice now going uh, apoplectic at the suggestion. <laughs> but I, I I don't think that would have been the worst thing in the world. No, I don't think so either. Right? Like to be honest, I think uh, the the style probably would have been good to, to it would be a good learning experience uh, uh for mason uh, for mason as well when they were working together but uh tommy you want to jump in there yeah um so joe i don't actually it, it's damned if you do damn you don't like Stellini, like yeah you know we're so close to the end of the season so keeping same thing or same uh training methods same formation the way we play it's not far of a reach, um, but I actually kind of wanted a dark horse shout, even though th this did happen 20 years ago. We did get a little bit of a spike, but I would have loved, and you would get this, but uh, I would have loved that David Pleat came back for a little bit because um, when Glenn Hoddle got fired, we I'm not saying we were we had a little bit of a renaissance, but results were improved, um, and that was actually my first what, second year as a Spurs fan? So I could have just rage quitted the team, but I didn't. But uh, no, but like generally speaking, though, I'm not going to hate on Potch on this, but who it, it's, it's similar in that situation where whoever the new manager is, if we play a 3-4-3 again, if we play 4-2-3-1, whatever, the new manager is still in a good situation, generally speaking. Um, even if Harry Kane leaves, we, you know, we still have Son, we have Dayon, we have, you know, Oliver Skip, Saar, uh, Hoiberg, I, I'm going to, I'm willing to cut him a lot of slack just because our midfield is so terrible. He has to play so many roles out of one person and how you guys, Joe was saying, like, he's just hung out to dry and he's just screwed. So, and he's been playing every minute 
partially because we have no choice. But, you know, we got Pedro Poro. We got Udogi coming in. We got Romero. Um, don't get me wrong. We do have to turn over a decent amount of the squad. But, kind of, like I said, with Pochettino, we had Harry Kane. We have Dembele. Uh, I, don't, I forget who all. You know, we got he had Hugo Lloris, you know, Jan Vertonghen, et cetera. So, Again, who wants to deal with Daniel Levy is that's a whole nother story. But in terms of the eye test of the squad, it's still it's still attractive. Uh, Jeff, you had your hand up. Yeah, Jeff, uh, wrap us up and then we'll go to half. I was just going to say, as far as the formation thing goes, I and I talked with Rick about this on Facebook. I, I just think that right now, given where we are, we're kind of stuck with 3-4-3. Three, three. Um, we've only got three senior midfielders who are healthy right now. Um, so if you throw Sar out there with the other two and somebody gets hurt, now you got to bring in Alfie Devine or somebody, unless you're going to move Dayan or Kane or Dan Juma into the midfield as you know, an attacking midfielder or something. Um, I don't know. The two wingbacks we have are healthy. Neither one of them can play defense. So you can't really go to a back four. That might even be more frightening than the three guys we got back there in the back three at the moment. So, I mean, I'm sure the new manager is going to make a lot of changes. I'm just not sure if Stellini and Mason can do a lot differently now, at least not until Basuma comes back. Yeah, Basuma might be a difference maker, and and I could see him being somebody who can make a difference. So I, I hope he comes back healthy soon, because I I, I want to see him on, under different coaches and see what he's actually got. Uh, but I think this is a good place to go to the half, the second half. We'll talk about our new uh, chief football officer. Um, we'll um, we'll have that Harry Kane conversation that I brought up in the the first half, and then we will preview the upcoming match against Bournemouth this weekend. Uh, but first, we're just going to take a break without a halftime segment. Well, welcome back. Um, I want to start this second half conversation. So um, last week we talked a little bit about uh, the Paradigy situation. Um, and it seems like the club wants to uh, bring some additional structure into our uh, the, the football side of operations. Um, and they they made the announcement uh, midweek uh, last week of uh, Scott Munn is now the uh, chief football officer. So he's uh, second to Levy, and he he would uh, if there's any chance that Paradigy comes back. Um, uh, he would be uh, ahead of him in the, the, the conversation. Now, I, I don't think many of us know much about him other than what's been talked about in the press and his uh, role in the the, the city and uh, Asia um, op- operations. But uh, how are you guys feeling about this, uh, this move? Um, is this a good thing? Uh, um, kind of an unknown? Uh, go ahead, Jeff. I think theoretically it's a good thing, right? Because this is all what we've kind of been yelling about is that there needs to be more of a structure um, at Tottenham, uh, you know, and, you know, goal and plans and, you know, somebody just what kind of team are we going to be and you know, leave you more away from it. So in theory, that's what this should do. Um, Like you said, the big thing is that we don't know a lot about him. He built a winner at Melbourne in the Australian League and then 
um, an expansion team there that was part of the city group. And then he went to China as part of the city group. I would think having experience as part of the city group is probably a good thing, although you're not going to get the money here that you got <laughs> as part of the city group. But, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, but, uh, but it'll be hopefully he'll have a vision from the top down of how the club should be run and how you know what it should look like out there on the pitch instead of you know jumping back and forth between different kinds of managers like we have been uh, do you think that this is uh theoretically a message of levy saying that he is going to step away from operations a little bit uh on the football side that's what it seems like. Yeah, it seems like he's putting more distance between himself and the on-pitch activities. Yeah. Maybe you know, you know, he was all excited about Jose, right? Um, and apparently got you know pretty close to him, and he was just as excited about Conte. And after getting burned twice like that, maybe he's like, "Geez, you know, I, <laughs> you know, I give up. I, you know, I need somebody else to do this." Yeah, maybe he finally saw the light. Uh, I we could only hope, I guess, and and some of it might be down to fan protests, and uh, he sees in the, the cards that he he's really a negative influence, and maybe he should just go back to being like owner, not really making these decisions. Uh, it well, I saw too somebody was speculating, and I can't remember who. <clears throat> you know, speaking of city football group, that idea where you have you know your club and then a bunch of other clubs that are, you know, sort of feeder clubs or, you know, since this guy has experience in that, does that mean Tottenham's going to go that way? Are we going to try to have some sister clubs or feeder clubs? I mean, even Brighton, I think, has one in in uh, Belgium now. So is he going to bring some of that to us, too, where there's sort of a, a football pyramid uh, for us? Well, Jeff, that, that's kind of the thing, though. We've had that system before with, like, San Jose earthquakes. We had one with uh, somewhere in some team in South Africa. So the precedent is there, so to speak. Um, I don't know, just... But how you said with, like, how ev- with protests and everything, it said, Spurs said, there has been ongoing review over the past six months of all footballing activities. So this isn't so this is at least been it's working in the works internally. So but also like all footballing activities, I'm like that it's a little vague. So I'm like maybe in like American football or whatever or like American sports, there's a director of whatever operations, this probably would be the most transferable title. So yeah. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out because I don't think any of us know what they really have in mind. Uh, Joe? Yeah, and I don't think the club ever knows what it has in mind these days. I mean, it's, it's let's be honest, a total shambles at the moment. Um, you've got the director of football pending jail. You've got the club having to release players during the January transfer window because no one knows how many loans we have going on at any given time i mean there's it's absolutely shambolic the way that the club's been run i know that they've got a lot of revenue streams that they're managing with the stadium and all that and i you know i'm that's great because ultimately that that does benefit the club i don't see that as a as a as a hindrance in any way i think that's all great but 
I feel like the football side of things has been just just really shambolic. There's no joined up thinking. You know, what Jeff's describing then sounds like a, a good plan, which is why I'm dubious that's what they're doing, because that sounds too logical, too much of a coherent strategy, right? That, oh, we'd have a feeder club like that makes sense. So, you know, the club that doesn't know how many players it has on loan, so has to give away, a, you know, a player, fire a player, doesn't really tend to have a strategy and it you know these things carry over onto the onto the pitch you know lucas said last week i was listening to you guys on the, on the podcast lucas said no other team would throw away the free the one they'll lead against basement everton one of the worst teams in the league in the last 10 minutes except spurs and that's true and the week before no other team would have thrown that way against southampton three one up with 12 minutes to go or whatever it was except spurs and against Brighton, no other team would have left Lewis Dunk, six foot six, biggest defender in the league, unmarked on a corner. And these things all, these things come from the, the top. This, this chaos that we see on the pitch, this kind of haphazard, no strategy, no game plan, it's just a club wide thing, as far as I can see. There's, there's no like strategic alignment of like ideals, there's no playing style that corresponds with the club's values and I don't think there's a plan off the pitch either so maybe this guy I don't know a lot about him to be honest but if he comes in with some ideas that you know make us more of a well-oiled machine then then that's great and if it's removing Levy from the football inside then that's definitely something I can uh, uh, be supportive of as well yeah well said well said um I also want to have a quick conversation about Harry Kane. So, uh, so we know he's our one guy who's 20 plus plus goals. And then uh, you look at everybody else, like the next highest goal scorer for us right now is like six goals. Um, but uh, we're also at the point where um, we don't know if he wants to stay. And probably a lot of that depends upon uh, who the next coach is and whether it's somebody that he has some faith in. And whether teams are going to pay what Levy's going to ask for him to to be sold, um, I want to do, do a check in here and now with everybody. As important as this player is to our club, and 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 having any type of future, even if this is a rebuild, um, but we would hope that it would be at least a rebuild that would be entertaining and something that we want to watch and can get behind, even if it takes a couple of years to, to get there. Um, do we want to do this with, with or without Harry Kane? Where is everybody falling on this? Uh, um, Tommy, you can take it first. Yeah. I let's be realistic here. He's been a great servant to the club. He's had a high output. I'm thankful for everything he's given to us. Let's sell him. And I and I say this <clears throat> partially because of Daniel Levy economics, but I say this as a fan. Last year, it's going to be the last year's contract. He's going to turn 30 this summer. He He's shown that if the club matches his ambition, that he will stay. We kind of got that with Antonio Conte and Jose Mourinho. <clears throat> we did see his output increase, or at least stay consistent, compared to the Pochettino years. So I'm thankful for that. The issue, though, is <clears throat> he's turning on the other. <clears throat> he's turning on the other side of thirty. Let's get what we can. Um, I think if we get around, 
between 50 and 60 million. That's probably where we're going to get. Let's cash in. Um, we don't have a choice. Uh, it's not ideal, but let's be realistic. Under the Pochettino years, starting with like what, what those three transfer windows where we didn't rebuild or at least get new signings, Conte is pay, Conte paid the price for that. Unfortunately for that, he is he was the right manager at the wrong time. Um, so let's use that money, get some new signs. Like I said uh, in the first half. We do have a lot of good players, you know, or at least or a decent core, at least some young um, players, whether it be like Udagi, Sar, Poro. We got Dayon, Richarlison. He's still like, what, 25, 26. He can, uh, in theory, he would be his direct replacement. But the other thing, though, is we got to build around. <clears throat> we got to we got a bunch of holes to fill. But in addition to that, we got to we got to make some upgrades um, because, unfortunately, for Richarlison, He's not going to be able to fill or be a direct replacement for Harry Kane. So let's do that. But the other argument I'm making is it's similar to Gareth Bale, Luka Modric, Dimitar Berbatov. Those players were too big for the club's ambitions at the time. I still think Harry Kane's, he hasn't outwardly stated that he wants to win. Generally speaking, he seems generally content. He loves the club. His family is are all Spurs fans, so I think he's okay with that to a certain degree. But I'm like, kind of with Gareth Bale, let him spread his wings, let him win something, send him to Man United. I mean, they don't have money, but they're going to be willing to pay. Um, Newcastle United, same thing. Um, in a perfect world, the best situation for him would actually be Chelsea, except we, we're not selling him because they actually do need a striker. But other than that, I'm like. Let him let him win something. I'm I because we're I'm unfortunately with Daniel Levy and the way we've been doing business over the years, um, and a bunch of other variety of team issues. He's not gonna he's not gonna win anything. Like even if we got a great manager that has been there, done that next year, we're not winning anything of anything substantial for the next few years. So let him spread his wings. He's he's done his penance. Let him reap the rewards and get him a tr- he can get a trophy. Well, and I think there is an element where we've been trying to buy coaches for Harry Kane at, at a certain point. And um, I'll push back against what you said earlier, Tommy, about Conte being the right coach at the wrong time. I don't think he was ever the right coach for this club. What this club was going to do at least at this given point in time, this era uh, under Levy, like they were never going to uh, buy the, the, the exact con- uh, Conte team. Yeah, we, sp- we increased the spending and that's probably what we agreed to, but it was never going to be the, the right superstar players, the experienced guys that fit right into the exact system that he wants to play. Uh, I don't know that he was ever the, uh, the right man because it's just the wrong club. Uh, uh, for, for Conte, but um, uh, but I think that too much of this is Harry Kane um, getting too much of a say at times uh, um, in who we bring in, um, and they want to say, "See, we're buying you a, a winning coach, a coach that's going to win you trophies if you stay here." And I can get the appeal because I mean, man, he's fucking Harry Kane. Uh, I I understand why you would want to bring in the coach to to keep him here and keep this going because it's 
such a he's such a special player. But um, but also I don't know that that's a good model for success. Just like buying coaches for a player. Um, uh, Joe, I see you nodding. Uh, let's uh, let's hear from you next. Yeah, I think there's an element of of we've been appeasing Kane um, for the last couple of managerial appointments. To be honest, um, as you mentioned, Anthony, he he had the option. He looked at possibly going, didn't he, a couple of years ago when his Tommy mentioned his family are all Spurs fans. I don't know about his brother Tommy because uh, the way he was trying to get him to get him <laughs> move to Man City, I don't know if he can be considered a Spurs fan. But and I was a little frustrated with Kane when that was going on because I felt he could have, you know, given the like given that a bit more time. It seemed a bit aggressive what he was trying. To, but this time, I'm if Kane wants to leave, I do agree with largely what Tommy says. I think we could we kind of almost owe it to him. He's given all his career to the to the club and he's not won a trophy, which is embarrassing, frankly, isn't it? It's a player of that quality, England record goal scorer, Tottenham record goal scorer. And yeah, he's had great uh, achievements. You know, he's been the World Cup top goal scorer. He's won Golden Boot, don't know how many times with Spurs, but played in a lot of Champions League games and so on, but he's, he's not won anything. Um, it's interesting Tommy mentions potential uh, clubs he could go to. I mean, the thing is, if you look at the transfer market now, it's the English teams dominate all the, the transactions, right? Like the, the teams in Italy aren't spending big money. The teams in Spain, other than Real Madrid, when they when they want to, don't really spend the money. So it's probably going to have to be... And he'll want to break the Premier League record, won't he? So obviously Arsenal is not going to happen, but... Chelsea, I agree with Tommy, we would never sell to Chelsea. So that really only leaves, I don't think he'd go to Newcastle either. Because can you imagine that? I'm leaving Spurs because they don't win trophies. So I'll I'll go and join Newcastle, who haven't won a trophy since the 1960s, I don't think, was the last time they won a trophy. So it doesn't make that much sense logically. I think Man United is the the one, Tommy, that he would perhaps go to. And there's, there's echoes of Sheringham uh, in the 90s. Sheringham was just too good for Spurs by the time he left. He went to Man United, actually, ironically, age 30. I'm, I'm pretty sure he was 30 or 31. And two years later, he won the Champions League, scoring in the final. So, And won the treble, in fact, that year and several other trophies uh, during that time. And I think Sheringham is perhaps a, a, a good comparison in this case. Whether Should we cash in on him? Get... 60 million or try and get another season out of him. I don't know. I kind of go back and forth on that, but I don't think he will want to extend. And I think we have to be reasonable enough to say that that's fair enough, uh, considering what he's given us over the years. Yeah, it's like, I, I think we're at the point where it could go either way. And I, I, I want to see Harry Kane finish his career in a, a Spurs uniform emotionally. And, and I, I do think it could continue to be good for us. I mean, what he provides is going to be tough to replace, um, um, even more so than what Bale was. I mean, we uh, what we spent to 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 replace Bale, like none of that really panned out, other than Erickson and maybe uh, like partially Lamella when he wasn't hurt. But um, we're not going to get that kind of money for Kane at this age. Like uh, Bale was leaving at uh, the right time. And I think it goes back to like, we don't sell at the right time uh, with players. And now we got this just 
one year left on the contract and I could see there being as much value to keep him around as it would be to get like whatever we can get for him on the open market to go someplace else. So yeah, yeah I go back and forth, but uh, like if he, if he wants to leave, um, um, we got to start, uh, start that rebuild and, and have the right coach for that rebuild is, is key. Uh, Jeff, you want to jump in there with anything here? Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, I see, I understand all the arguments for selling him and, you know, getting what money we can for him. I certainly feel sympathy for him, um, you know, not having won you know, a trophy in his career. But I think all these arguments are moot. Uh, Daniel Levy is not going to sell Harry Kane. That's never going to be on his tombstone. He's, you know, on top of being the guy who tried to get us into Super League and everything else that the fans hate him for, he's not willingly going to be the guy who sold Harry Kane. So either Harry's going to have to play out his contract and leave at the end of it, or, you know, the new manager we bring in next year and the team is fun and exciting and Harry signs on for more. And that's where it's going to be. He's not going to get sold this summer. Jeff, I love, I love what you just said. And I think there's a lot of uh, sense to that, but I'm just going to play devil's advocate. Not that I feel particularly strongly on this, but just to say, you know, we had the Sol Campbell situation, right? I know that was a million times worse because he went to Arsenal of all teams, but we lost our captain, right? And our best player 20, whatever years ago, 21 years ago now. And would, I, I don't think he'd go to Arsenal just to be uh, just to just to emphasize that. But we could be the same boat. Like, would it be worse to sell Kane? I'm being a little bit rhetorical here. Would it be worse to worse to sell Kane for like 60 million, like Tommy said, or lose him on a free in 12 months? What would be considered a worse uh, thing from Levy's point of view? I, I don't know the answer. I'm just putting that out there. It might not be as clear cut as just been the guy who sold him versus the guy who lost him for for free transfer, right? That could be even worse. Well, and how much money is he worth in marketing and selling him on the back of kits and putting him in commercials? Like, I, like, Levy's a money man. Like, uh, how much of uh, the value of having him around the extra year is worth more than having uh, the 60, 70, 80 million that we might be able to crank out of uh, a United forum? So, yeah, it's, it really is like a conundrum that like I, I don't know the right answer at this point. Like I, I don't want to see Harry Kane go, but like I understand why uh, it it could be smart in, in certain circumstances. Like Joe, you it looked like you wanted to jump back in. Yeah, and just just real quick, one last thing I'm I'm going to say on this is another consideration is if we bring in a coach, whoever that may be. Let's say it's someone. It doesn't have to be. Pochettino. I know that's really Tommy is desperate for. Tommy, and I'm, I'm joking. Uh, but let's pretend it's someone like Pochettino. Let's say it's Nagelsmann, actually, right? Or someone who's like more of a project manager, as they call them these days. That's the lingo, isn't it? For someone who has a more of a long-term vision. And I do think that's the kind of manager we should go for. I think that's a manager that suits our needs and our situation best. Um, you know, I don't, I, I'm loathe to use the Arsenal example, but it's hard not to, uh, you know, considering the the, the way that they've improved in, in the last year or two years, whatever. Then, you know, like we're probably going to have a manager who pro- plays quite high pressing, like fast place football, like Pochettino did when he came in in 2014. Is having a 30 year old Harry Kane 
conducive to playing that football. Like, of course, he's a brilliant player and any manager would want him, but it kind of like affects your game, right? Like you can't play pressing football with 29-year-old Son who, you know, and 30-year-old Kane in the same team. You just can't do that physically with those players. So maybe you'd have to think playing Kane as an outright number 10, play like a 4-3-2-1 or whatever, or sorry, a 4-2-3-1 with Kane as the as the 10. That might work. And you could have Richarlison or Son as the as the striker. Maybe there's there's options there, but it, it also impacts that, right? Like if the manager comes in and wants to play this high-tempo football, you're not going to have Kane being that guy at age 30, are you? So dilemmas uh, all the way, I think, you know, not just in terms of what Kane wants, but what the club sees as the future as well. Yeah, no, and, you, and you actually put the, my thought in place. Like, yeah, the only way I see it working is the, like Kane in the number number 10 role. Um um, and I've often thought that he really needs to make that shift at some point. Um, but uh, whether Richarlison's the guy that can uh, can can take over that role, yeah, it's going to be interesting because uh, whatever coach comes in, there's a lot of players on loan that will be coming in next summer that that they can kind of pick and choose from. Like even the Indombles and Lacelsos of the world, maybe somebody will find use of Regulon. Like there, there's a lot of players out there that are still under our control. That um, some of them we certainly have to move on, but some of them might um, uh, might have appeal for uh, whoever comes in, and and maybe that's the type of coach that we want. Somebody that's going to come in and say like, look at all these options that I have to to work with. I I, I, I let me make the choices, and uh, let's bring them all back, see them in camp, see what they got, and let's ro- roll from there. Uh, Jeff? Yeah, and Los Elsa was uh, boss in Real Madrid around this weekend, too. Um, so that's a good sign. You're right. I mean, when you bring back our loan army, um, there's a lot for somebody to sift through. But the, the real trick is going to be, you know, new number two now. Um, you know, Scott, can he sell off the Deadwood after that? Because once the new guy knows who he wants, we know there's going to be a ton of players left over. We've got to sell those guys for whatever we can and, you know, use that money for new players. Yeah, no, definitely. Oh, uh, sorry, I'll be I'll be quick. Go ahead, no, uh, no, in terms of selling the players, though, I mean, we're probably going to have to take them as a loss. But kind of like with Pochettino, though, it took him, what, two seasons to turn over the squad? Like getting rid of Kabul, what, Townsend? Uh, I don't know, Adebayor, et cetera. So I'm like, how Joe said with the project, Soldado. man. What? Soldado. Soldado. Um, yeah, no, no, I heard. Uh, so whoever the new manager is, we, yeah, we definitely need that project manager type, and hopefully that person's in for long because if we had general mains of the squad, we wouldn't be in this mess, but... Well, unfortunately, blame whomever you want. There's a lot of blame to go around, but real I mean, there's gonna be a lot of there's gonna be a lot of time needed and money needed to undo this mess. So uh sit back and get get some popcorn because it'll be a ride <laughs> ride to remember for sure. Yeah, I think it's gonna be an interesting off season regardless of uh who comes in. They'll still be angry fans, but I think it's going to be uh, entertaining. There'll be a lot to talk about for sure. 
Um, but I think we got to move the conversation along into our last topic. Uh, so this uh, Saturday, uh, another home match, um, another 9 a.m. here in Chicago um, uh, against Bournemouth at home. So they're in 16th place in the league. That's 30 points, eight wins, six draws, 16 losses. Um, they did uh, uh, win away to at, at Leicester this past Saturday. Um they lost to Brighton prior to that, beat Fulham, uh, uh, lost to Villa, and beat Liverpool. So they're kind of in this uh, back-and-forth uh, form right now. Um, their top goal scorer is uh, Philip Billing with uh, seven, uh, who's also their top-rated player. Um, they got a couple playmakers, but not not much to talk about here with the, uh, the squad that they're going to put out. Um, this is a home fixture. Um, presumably it will be Ryan Mason, uh, coaching the squad. Um, uh, given that we, uh, beat them three, two earlier this, uh, season at their place. Uh, how are you guys feeling about this one? Go ahead, Jeff. Well, I, this whole episode is theoretically, it feels like for every topic. I mean, theoretically, this should be an easy one, right? We should have no problem with Bournemouth. But then again, we just had draws with two of the three teams in the relegation zone. So um, it's better that we're at home because it seems like the players need to be at home and have the home support to be able to finish anything out. So um, I have a little more optimism that will take out Bournemouth. And then uh, then we start our difficult run after that. Yeah, that, and that's the thing. Like, this is kind of a must-win because we are going into that difficult run and there's no guarantee of points uh, um, after this. Um, so we we have to actually do the do the work and, and cash in the chips here and actually do what we should be able to do, which is roll over Bournemouth. Um, Joe, you want to take this next? Yeah, like Jeff said, of course. I mean, I feel like that's the, uh, in, in a way, it's kind of worse, right, for Stellini and Mason because the expectation from everyone is that you're going to beat Bournemouth. They're one of the weaker teams. You're at home. It's a what you would consider a, a, a home uh, banker, really. But, I mean, when we're getting outplayed by most teams like it, it this could be really embarrassing if Bournemouth like you kind of forgive it with Brighton because everyone knows Brighton are a good team and they're up there they're in you know the they're seventh in the league and they're a good team and they had um the vast majority of possession on Saturday but when it's Bournemouth who come you can't let Bournemouth be bloody outplaying you at home can you there's you know I can just picture the fans getting really um restless to be honest if we're not playing well against Bournemouth if we're doing this low block kind of reactive counter-attack at home to Bournemouth it's just like really we can't take Bournemouth on uh you know in a in a, in a footballing style so I, I feel like it's got the the trappings of a bit of a, <laughs> of, a of a of a dicey situation here um because did the team did the management team change the style with that in mind and just be like let's just go for it against Bournemouth or do they continue this kind of low block you know counter attack whatever I don't know I feel like they're probably preferring the games that we have against Newcastle and uh, Liverpool because at least then the expectations aren't as, as, as high as they are at home to Bournemouth 
Um, so yeah, it's it's quite a an interesting one. I do think we'll win, but I'm intrigued to see how we set up for this one. If we'll actually try and take them on in a more attacking style. Well, and I, I think we're going to have a lot of the possession because uh, the, they're they're playing at our house. They're going to play uh, a defensive style, which is historically a big problem for us. Um, but um, and when we take on those Liverpools, like uh, that, we you know they're going to come after us still. Um, I, I could see us playing better against those teams and United than we do against Bournemouth, unfortunately. But um, um, I, I hope that's not the case. Uh, what, how are you feeling, Tommy? Yeah, I wouldn't be too surprised if we played better against you know Newcastle, Man United, uh, and Liverpool just because we play better against those kind of teams that play open. Um, any team that parks the bus, I, I, I don't even. Joe, you're more how I said it before, but you're more in tune to the tactics and how teams play. Um, Scott Parker got let go, but I I don't even know how they play right now. But if they're, they're kind of, I mean, they're yeah, they're 16th, but it, since they're to, since they're stru- uh, need to survive, the main goal is kind of just mitigate goals and make sure, sh- and then you know park the bus. So if they if that in fact is what they're going to do. We, we're probably mean for a long day, regardless if we're at home or not. Um, say if we do get an early goal, the floodgates will open because that will force Bournemouth to get a goal regardless. Because realistically, if you're a relegation battle team or in the relegation zone, you're going to, like, the main goal is to get points any way, shape, or form. One or three. So... And they know what to do. Yeah. Pack, well, pack, that's, pack the they, midfield because we're only going to play two. Yeah. And like um, the, the unfortunate thing about Spurs right now is before, yeah, we were high flying, playing attractive football and all this stuff. This team is still capable of doing that if the right conditions are set. <clears throat> so because of that, I don't have high hopes that we're going to slaughter Bournemouth, even though we definitely have the talent. It's just. I, I don't know. It, I just feel that when the, if this was low pressure, you know, things would be different. It, it's just, I don't know. It, I can't, whenever, like, but whenever we, we have to deal with a team that does park the bus, we just can't pick the lock for some reason. I don't know if it's because of our tactics. And this has even been under since Pochettino. Pochettino, uh, Jose, Nuno, Conte. Um, Rams we've seen with Stellini slash uh, Ryan Mason, but like we had the similar core. Like, is it these players that can't pick the lock of parking the bus, or is it because um, the way we play, it's not suited to that? You know, um, I don't like. I remember reading like the way to beat a team that parks the bus is get your crosses in. We have Pedro Poro for that, so that's at least a plus, but. I mean, other than that, I'm like, I can't even tell you what we can do with the squad that we have to even break this down. Well, Parasitch is certainly capable of the cross, too. Um, but uh, also, we just haven't seemed to be able, be able to connect that often on those crosses. And there's a certain element, like, what happened to the first half of the season when we were the the best at set pieces? Like, that seems to have gone away in recent weeks. Uh, um 
maybe this is an opportunity to bring some of that back too. I mean, just uh, win corner after corner, uh, drive to the line a little bit, like uh, force them to kick it out, uh, put pressure on them, and and uh, and and get some more set pieces, and maybe we can bring that part of our game back as well. But I agree, like crosses and and set pieces, like I I think that. That that might be our best way to to handle this because we certainly lack the creativity to to break down a team uh, through just finesse. Um, any other thoughts uh, before we go to predictions? Okay, let's start with uh, Joe for predictions. So I do think we're going to win this game, but I think we're going to. It's going to be a laborious thing. I don't see us playing scintillating. Um, uh, you know, Brazil 1970 style buccaneering football uh, or anything like that, because we've not seen that in a long time, unfortunately. Um, and I think they'll probably frustrate us for a while. They're, they're not in bad form, actually, Bournemouth. I see they've won three out of the last five games and they got a good win at Leicester. I know Leicester are, are bad and they're in the bottom three, but they wiped the floor with us a couple of months ago, didn't they? So I don't think Bournemouth are completely um, to be taken for granted. And I, and I think they'll give us a decent game, but I expect us to win 1-0. It's too obvious if I say Kane to score, um, but I'm still going to do it. And I'll say Kane will score a penalty and we'll win 1-0. Yeah, I mean, it's you almost have to if you're picking a 1-0, go Kane. I mean, it's the only safe bet. Um, uh, let's go to Tommy next. Joe, I don't disagree with the game being laborious. Um, I ex- probably, I'm probably going to be at the bar, but even so, I might have to take a nap. Um, I'm predicting a 2 0 win, Kane's son, but I'm going to, how I said laborious, probably going to get a goal. I don't know. Our first goal, I don't know, maybe 60, 70 minutes, but eventually Bournemouth are going to have to go for it. So I, because of that, I wouldn't be surprised if we get a late goal. Uh, just because of counterattack or whatever. So, there you go. So, uh, Jeff? Um, I agree with the, the general sentiment that it's going to be a low-scoring, tight, close game. I'm going to say we squeak it 2-1, um, Kane and Poro. And I think both our goals come in the second half. Uh, let's see. Je- Jeff, you had 2-1. Tommy, you had 2-1 as well, right? Two, uh, two no. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Two no. Okay. I was gonna go with the two one. Um, and I, I think uh, Tommy's goal scorers are the the right ones. I think it's got to be um, uh, Kane and Son. Uh, Son, I think is gonna continue on with it, but I do worry about him. Uh, in if they do play a really uh defensive formation, because uh, again, he just can't seem to turn. Uh, turn around on the ball in the box and uh, get his shots off when uh, when he has to play with his uh, uh, back to goal. We want him running onto the ball. Um, but I'm going to give one to Sun anyway. I have faith that this is where he turns it around. We've been saying it all year. This is it. Um, and then uh, Kane, just simply because he's Harry Kane, he's going to score. Um, any final thoughts on uh, this week, uh, the direction we're going? Um, the supporters trust anything else that you guys want to tackle before we close out? Uh, go ahead, Tommy. Um, just kind of echo my sentiments earlier. It's, uh, kind of do or die right now to get fourth. 
let's start off on the right where we got, you know, we beat uh, Brighton last or a few days ago. Let's keep the streak going, beat Bournemouth, and let's see how the next three matches go. But let's get the ball rolling. Uh, it's not cutting time. Let's see what this team's made of. Okay. Anybody else? Uh, Joe? Uh, the- I was I was giving Tommy a thumbs up. I like his optimism. Um, Jeff and I were kind of saying earlier, I, top four to me almost seems just we don't deserve it this year, honestly. Like, of course, I'll be happy if we get it. But last year, I was really invested in top four and I felt it was a really good, uh, you know, good for the club that we got it this year. I don't know. I think it might be better for us to have a season off and rebuild and be in the Europa. Maybe a new manager coming in would benefit from having younger players in the Europa. I'm trying to see the silver lining because I just don't. The eye test of watching us every week and watching teams like Newcastle, we're not. They're better than us, quite frankly. And and if I really hope we get top four, but if we don't, so be it. Let's let's hope we can build a better better Tottenham for next year, that more enjoyable to watch than than they have been this year. No, 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 I think that's a good shout. Uh, anything from you, Jeff, before we go? Uh, no, I mean, like like Joe said, we were talking about it at halftime, and it's like, wow, if Tottenham is the fourth best team in the Premier League this year, what does that say about the Premier League? I mean, yeah, we've we've watched them every week. Does it feel like fourth best team in the Premier League? It'd be nice to have, like Joe said, but wow, it's just kind of almost a damning statement on the league. Uh, or it's a, a statement about how competitive the leagues become, too, to be fair. I mean, like a lot of those middle table teams are no, nobody's pushovers anymore. It's it's competitive. Um, we can't just expect uh, to, to to get by on the, the backs of uh, insanely good talent like Kane and Son anymore. We need to actually find other ways to win, and we've been struggling to do it. But if we got top four, I think it would show that, like, uh, okay, maybe we, maybe we were grinding out more. Maybe we didn't give us enough credit. Like, we we ground out against some very good teams and, and, and crept into fourth place if we do it. But I, I think I agree with you that it's probably a bit of a long shot right now. Um, but we can hope. And I like Tommy's optimism. So uh, we're, we're going to end on Tommy's high note and – uh, that about wraps it up. So thank you so much to uh, Joe, Tommy, and Jeff for being on today. And uh, thanks to Tommy for editing today, Charlie for the music, Sam for social media, Kimberly for the logo, and as always, the Atlantic Bar and Grill. Uh, come on out and watch it with us there Saturday. Uh, find us on our many platforms. Uh, get, write us a review on those platforms and uh, and hit the subscribe button where you can. Check us out on Twitter and Facebook at 4 Spurs and our website at 4starspurs.com. Come on, you first.